This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Monica, are you ready to talk Anna Karenina? Round two. Round two, are you ready to dive into it? So ready. This is part two of episode 29 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Anna Karenina. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you here. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, uh, you should be aware that this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers. And it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the film. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and go check out part one. But uh, before we really start to analyze Anna Karenina, here's another clip. Well, love was never a game to us. Here's an end to living in corners. Existing day to day on lies. Yes. Now we can be together. How can we, Alexei? Tell Karenin everything. Do you think my husband will make you a present of me? Leave him. Leave him and be your mistress. Yes. Run away. I would never see my son again. The laws are made by husbands and fathers. What then? I'll never forgive myself for your unhappiness. Unhappiness? I'm like a starving beggar who's been given food. I, unhappy. No. This is my happiness. All right, Monica, let's talk about Anna Karenina. You, you mentioned last weekend in part one that you thought the stage setting didn't, didn't really work. You thought it was too damn much. There was yeah. just too much stuff going on. It kind of worked for me, and, and here's why. Here's, here's what I'm going to go with. The stage is yours, Andrew. <laughs> okay, okay. I feel like it has this interesting element to the film because the whole movie is about time and it's about change you've got that recurring motif of the train just moving forward and 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 always traveling along the tracks always moving and visually you have this idea that things are constantly in motion you know the backdrops are always changing characters are literally walking from one environment to another things are just changing all around them and it's like that way in the first half of the film, I feel like, because Anna as a character is sort of in transition. She's in motion. She's standing up to these social institutions. She's deciding to give in to this temptation and, and, and embark on this forbidden love. And then in the second half of the film, all of the complications of that arise. And you get to see all of the social structures and the institutions that just sort of clamp down and put all of this pressure on her. And so that's when things stop. And suddenly the environment feels a lot more oppressive. Things aren't moving around as much. It's not quite as 
theatrical and it just seems a lot more rigid. And so I think that that was the the purpose for choosing that aesthetic. I could be wrong, but that was that was the impression I got. That in the first half, it seems like everything's in motion, everything's changing, everything's moving. And then by the second half, that image of the train as a symbol of, of change almost becomes this symbol of death and just this incoming force that you can't stop, this obstacle that you just will never be able to overpower. But yeah, that was my take on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not at all what I walked away no, with. It's no, it's not what you got. <laughs> no, I didn't get a single thing of that. Goodness, where to start? Um, so that train motif kind of been done before by like everybody. Well, uh, sure. Sure, yeah. it's a it's a common motif, but like I said, so, I don't mind like, a little bit it, of to see that used as the device to say like, oh yeah, she's moving. I still felt like she was being shuttled everywhere. If it wasn't for one here, you know, from one bed to another, it was <laughs> it was just she just happens to be traveling. If it's not on a train, it's on a stagecoach. If it's not on a stagecoach, it's her huffing and puffing down the hall. Well, well, well I like how the train sort of transformed from this. We, we, you know, at first we associate. Oh, and was that like supposed to be foreshadowing that, you know, the guy dies at the very beginning in front of her? Which that already, like, let's set the stage, let's set the tone for this uh, movie here. We're going to kill a dude right right off the bat. Well, I I liked how the symbol, that, that visual, it went from being associated with change and movement to almost seeming really ominous. And really foreboding over the course of the film. At first, you're like, oh, she's traveling, she's moving, this is great. And then by the end of the film, it's like, oh man, you can't stop that train. No way to get through it. She's gonna, ultimately, she's just gonna have to give into it. I mean, if you didn't know the story, though, it'd just be like. I, I, I didn't. I had never, I've never read the book. Okay. No, no, because I haven't read the book either, but I've seen another one of the adaptations. So, like, that mm-hmm. wasn't a thing that happened in that version but i don't know if it happens in the book what, what um, wasn't the thing that happened the, the guy who gets torn in half that's oh, the, oh the, the first guy that gets run over okay the poor dude yeah because then it becomes like oh that's so unfortunate and how gallant is uh Count Vronsky that he offers money to the poor families and it's like oh i'm not gonna enjoy this <laughs> this is just <laughs> this is just gonna be some I, I don't mind that drama though. I mean, I don't mind it. It's just, it's a cultural, you know, thing or whatever. But I, again, I would like to see if this was actually a part of the book or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, aristocrats being unfeeling to the plebes is so not Russian, right? Do you think Count Vronsky will give money to Anna's family? <laughs> <laughs> Lols, because he leaves her. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because she yeah. dies heartbroken. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a moralistic, ta- it's totally a moralistic tale where it's like, if mm-hmm. you, you know, stray from the path, you will earn your, you know, demise. And so eventually the guy that she has an affair with ends up leaving her for a younger, blonder version or whatnot and runs off with her. Okay, so- well, wait, 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 wait. I wasn't clear as to whether he actually was running off with her or whether he was just sort of around her and Anna was getting really delusional and paranoid and thinking, oh my goodness, 
he's going to run off with this younger woman. And I, I, by the end of the film, I thought that maybe she was just becoming re- kind of mentally unhinged and really paranoid. I didn't fully believe that he was actually going to leave her. Uh, if he wasn't, he was being a mean bastard about it. Like, he's even kind of taunting her about it as he's about to walk out. And it's like, oh yeah, you you afraid? You noticed that I'm hanging out with this chickie? Well, watch me as I go hang out with her again. Well, he tells her that she's that she's overreacting and she's paranoid and delusional. Yeah, and that she's making something of nothing. All cheaters cheating who cheat say. <laughs> well, true, but I I don't know. I I was kind of more on the fence as to whether or not he was actually cheating on her again, ah. and I actually kind of felt really angry towards Anna. I thought like she was being right, you really hate her character. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was being really unreasonable and there just kind of like whoa whoa whoa, you're jumping to conclusions. Okay. See, I I knew the the brattiness would eventually hit you. She that's what it ended up being. It's just she ends up being a brat. She doesn't have her way and now she's going to be all dramatic and go kill herself. Yes, the way I phrased it on Twitter was that this is a film about how Russia has 99 problems and a bitch is definitely one of them. Because by the end of the movie, Anna really is kind of unbearable. And (laughs) I wasn't sure if we were supposed to sympathize with her or not. Because I've never read Anna Karenina, but whenever I've heard people talk about Anna Karenina, I've, I've always gotten the impression that Anna was in some ways almost like a feminist figure. Yeah, because she leaves for her heart's desire, because this was an arranged marriage. Right, and I was watching the movie, and I was thinking, is she a feminist figure? If so, I don't like her. She doesn't seem like a very good person. I didn't buy her as a feminist figure at all. She totally, I mean, again, yeah, she goes towards the, the crazy bitch stereotype, and then she you know, ends up killing herself over a man. Right. I mean, by the end of the movie, she's paranoid, she's delusional, she's she's emotionally unstable. And I think maybe that's where some of that overacting melodrama came in that you were talking about. Okay, also, in, in terms, like, I just remembered a specific scene that I was like, what is this? Um, okay. In terms of over-theatricality, was when he goes to visit, I think it's Anna's brother, the Levin character. I think it is. And he goes through like his business or whatever. And it's the guys, the tax accountants or so, and they're stamping paper in simultaneously in time. Right. Do you remember? Okay. That's exactly lifted from the producers. And I know, oh, know this right. song is unhappy, unhappy, very right. unhappy. And so, pr- well, I'm pretty sure there have been other movies that did that whole stamping in time thing. Yeah. Maybe how to succeed in business without even trying. But still, like that's, that's the markings of a musical. That's not exactly like next to normal sort of dramatic stage play that I would have appreciated probably a little bit more since we were dealing with a person who, you know, a tragic love story, if you will. So those, so those little stylistic flourishes you felt like were a bit it inconsistent? Me, yeah. yeah. Am I supposed to laugh at this? Because now it's a joke. Now you're treating it like a joke. Okay. Yeah. Again, I just kind of took that as a rather heavy-handed acknowledgement that things are very ordered, they're very structured, don't get out of line in Russian society. Okay, but it sounds like we both agree Anna's not a very sympathetic character. 
I agree with you that I didn't view her as a feminist figure. I don't think just doing what you want makes you empowered. Or sleeping with you who you want. Right. I don't think that that makes you an empowered person. No. You know. Especially not the way she goes about it later is obviously what destroys it for any sort of feminist dialogue is that she then overreacts to, you know, yes, it would have been great if she was able to just stand up to society, but she crumbles under society's pressure, more or less. Right. And I I don't think that infidelity should be confused with empowerment. No. And I I, I understand. Okay, I wasn't sure watching the film if her marriage to Jude Law was arranged or not, because I don't think that's actually mentioned in the film. Okay. Is that was that clear in the um, pr- other production that you saw? No, I uh, don't think so. No, I okay. it, maybe it's more just like she just doesn't love him. Well, that's the impression I got was that maybe they had loved each other at one point, but now yeah. clearly their marriage isn't very exciting. Yeah. And and couples therapy hadn't happened yet, so right. what is that there's no hope springs for these guys. And I wasn't sure, like, am I supposed to sympathize with Anna because she's in this loveless marriage? Am I supposed to sympathize with her and root for her when she goes off with Count Bronsky or not? Because I just kind of, I viewed it as she's taking the easy way out, almost. Mm. I mean, yes, it's true that Jude Law's character, uh, Corinne, he's not exactly the most communicative person. No. And he doesn't try to talk with her about these things but she doesn't really try to talk with him about things either yeah so i didn't really see either of them putting forth much of an effort into the relationship yeah and i kind of got the impression that maybe jude law is so traditional and so chaste that he didn't he almost it's almost like he didn't realize there was a problem until it was too late yeah yeah and i kind of felt like well if he doesn't know there's a problem that's how can not you ex- fair yeah, how can you expect him to f- try to fix the problem? So, yeah, what was your take on the Jude Law character? I mean, last week, Craig Lindsay said he <laughs> was a mangina. I think he was just upset that Jude Law didn't go knock Count Vonsky out, which, you know, right. would have been the response of many men. You're right. doing what with my wife? Which is, you know, totally tor- territorial and whatever. But Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, an article that I read was that he's supposed to be, like, the figure of Christian forgiveness or so, um, is what I think what was Leo Tolstoy's uh, interpretation of he always forgives Anna and he, he always welcomes her back, but finally she decides to leave him for good, and that's when he's like, all right, well, I'm going to take your kid and everything you ever loved forever after it's because of this. Right. Like, I, I, I was sort of sympathetic towards his character overall because i kind of felt like he is forgiving her i mean it seems like he does love her yeah where most guys would have been like what no yeah he does forgive her and he it seems like he wants to be with her he just doesn't really know how to express that and it's maybe he isn't willing to spice things up in the bedroom (laughs) in order to to make their marriage it it almost sounds what was it the first time she was like hey you know like I think she was like, uh, what was it, putting down her sleeve or something? Right. Was like trying to seduce him, and he was like, I'm busy. <laughs> what they really needed to do is just go on a vacation and go visit Steve Carell so that he could inform them on how to improve their sex life. I wish every couple life. could do that. <laughs> it would fix so many movies. 
Anna Karenina 2, Hope Springs. <laughs> this is 42, Hope Springs. <laughs> All the movies fixed in such a manner. <laughs> yeah, I think what what they really needed to do was go to the theater and have Kira Knightley give Jude Law a blowjob at the theater. That's, that's <laughs> really what would have made things better. Shh, this is sacrilege. I see, I've always been like, I'm not going to kiss a guy during a movie because <laughs> I'm watching it. So... Yeah, it's really hard for me to get on her side. I mean, this is 19th century Russia. Her husband is a government official. Does she really think that there's not going to be any consequences to this? What's the worst he can do? <laughs> it's very hard for me to sympathize with a character who doesn't seem to think about the people around her or how her actions will affect them. She's just kind of yeah. like, oh, I, I don't like my husband, but I do like this guy, so what could go wrong? You know, I'm just going to follow my heart and do whatever I want. Yeah, she just kind of says, like, no, I'm going to do it. And I was like, well, that's talking it out. <laughs> oh, quick uh, quick aside, the whole Jude Law, like, my theatrical moment is the cracking knuckles thing. Oh, I actually really like that about his character, because Karenin, I mean, I mean, you really get the sense that he's just very strict and very... Uptight. It was like, he has a character trait. He likes to crack his knuckles. He's very restrained. He's very uptight. And instead of just keeping to that, it's like, oh, now he has a character quirk. I, I, I didn't mind it. Here's the thing. He's always trying to remain calm and collected in every situation. He doesn't like to lose control. And that's arguably why their marriage is in trouble, because he has problems communicating. He has problems opening up. But I actually like how he cracks his knuckles because that's like the one sign that he's super stressed. That's the one sign yeah. that he really cares about Anna and he really does love her and he really wants things to be okay. But he can't say it, so all of that tension just gets released through his knuckles. So I thought it was interesting when Anna basically yells at him to stop doing that because even though it's just another example of how he's this very rigid person... It's this very harsh sound. It's also the sound of bones breaking. It's it's literally the sound of stress, and it's actually a form of communication. You know, the, the, you, you, he, he's trying to tell her something through that. They just don't realize it. Okay. One other thing that I think the film tries to point out is that there's a double standard in Russia at this time. I mean, at the beginning, her brother is revealed to be cheating on his wife. Also is a philanderer. Yeah, he's a philanderer. But Anna and the rest of society is much more forgiving of that because he's a man. But when Anna is thought to be an adulteress, everyone just shuns her. I, I thought that was a really interesting scene where she goes to the theater and there's that guy who just tries to give her his handkerchief and then everybody freaks out and it's like, no, don't be near her. So that was interesting. But I, I, I really want to talk about the Levin kitty relationship i was trying to figure out what exactly his relationship is to anna and and how he knows her brother i hate russian family lineage it's too hard kitty was her brother's daughter i think so kitty was okay. anna's niece i'll say yes pretty sure that was it I, I think she was anna's niece so at the beginning uh levin meets with her brother to talk about getting married to kitty and I liked that whole relationship just because he actually shows some form of internal conflict over the course of the movie. He, he actually seems to go through meaningful changes. Like, at first he gets rejected by Kitty. Roundly. Yeah, she flat out rejects him. But then when her aunt, Anna, starts hooking up with this younger guy that she was into, she goes back to wanting to be with him. 
Oh my god, and it's just like high school all over again. I mean, that's the, I mean, that's essentially that's how the story goes. Like, it's he loves her and she loves someone else. I, I like how he goes away for a while after she rejects him. He goes to stay with his brother who's this working class guy and, and work out in the fields and you can tell he's really depressed. He's hurt. But you can tell that's not it for him. Like he he's not just going to kill himself or something after yeah. being rejected. He's a strong character. He's going to try and move on. Yeah. And like you you get the impression that maybe their relationship wasn't meant to work out anyway because he's part of the working class and she's a bit more upper class and his brother even tells him like just marry a peasant Mm. like it'll be fine find a nice woman settle down you'll be happy and i really liked that scene where they're all just relaxing by the fire in the fields after a hard day's work and he's looking at this peasant girl who's there and you can just tell he's thinking you know what maybe this isn't so bad i can work in the fields all day i can go home to a pretty girl at night yeah my life isn't over and then when he actually does get back together with kitty it was actually really satisfying to me because I felt like he, he doesn't need her. He's not like Anna where he's just going to commit suicide if he can't have her. He loves her, but he's strong enough to live without her. And you could argue that it's actually that confidence that draws her back to him. Yeah. So I, I liked that relationship more than the Anna Vronsky one. Yeah, I, I get you there. Like, really, of all the people that I had issues with, they were not on the top of my list. I actually kind of like their story. It was very cute. And she does end up, like, almost proving herself to be, like, work-worthy or so. Because at one point, his brother is like, oh, she can't do anything. And she, you know, actually helps out and, like, takes care of a guy and all that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because Levin's brother is actually married to a prostitute. Mm -hmm. So when Levin and Kitty get married, it's sort of like, no, Kitty can't stay here because she can't be around this this unclean woman she's too upper class she's too fancy but kitty actually helps out you know she sticks around she helps tend to his to his brother yeah when he's sick and she doesn't really seem to care that there are prostitutes and common people around she just wants to be with Levin. genuinely cared about each other yeah and it's a parallel story to anna's in that they're both breaking these social rules Mm -hmm. and and overcoming these class obstacles so i guess it's a moral story of the right way to you know, subject the system in the wrong way. (laughs) Yeah, the film seems to be saying that love can't conquer all obstacles, but it can conquer some obstacles. You know, following your heart can help you overcome class differences in other social institutions, but not the institution of marriage. Anything else is possible. Like, it can work. Yeah. Actually, I guess a good way to look at it would be that marriage can overcome anything. Once Levin and Kitty are back together, once they're married, they can overcome the class differences and everything else. But when Anna breaks that institution of marriage, that's when everything goes to hell. So I liked how Levin and Kitty get back together. Uh, You know, there's that scene with the blocks where they're telling each other that they love each other. And even though that's a bit heavy-handed i th- I thought it was sweet I that's liked it. that's there we go yeah that's a little painful oh good they're communicating we can't use our words yet though we're getting there we're getting there just a couple more hours you know maybe that's what anna and her husband corinne maybe that's what they needed to do they needed to just sit yeah. down with some blocks hey guys let's play a game <laughs> yeah let's see uh what letters uh f u <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it was a little heavy-handed, but I went with it. Uh, you still like it? I mean, you'd still recommend people go see it, obviously. 
yeah, you know, the the movie is definitely flawed, but overall, like I said, I think it gets more right than it gets wrong. So I would recommend that people check it out. I mean, I feel like there's also, there's so many movies out there right now that people could be catching up on, like Lincoln and that hipster movie that no one's ever heard about, Hobbit, maybe worth the check out. Because again, Curiosity, um, they're doing that 48 frames per second. Uh, so if we want to just go see something out of, you know, artistic creativity or whatnot, there's other examples out there to do so. Well, if you're in the mood for a good costume drama, maybe give it a shot. Yeah, if you like them costumes. Yeah, if you like that kind of movie, then I think you could do worse. No, yeah, totally. We've all seen the lot worse, but... I don't know. I and mean, that's the thing. Like, I love Joe Wright's earlier work. Like, I loved Atonement, and I loved the Pride and Prejudice. Like, I think he just has a thing for Kiera Knightley in period dresses. She does a lot of those. But I'm kind of okay with that until now, where I was like, okay, you just lost me. <laughs> okay, well, Monica, is there anything else you would like to say about Anna Karenina? Yawn. Yawn? Yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> over her. Really didn't impress you. Uh, no. Okay, clarify this for me. So at the end of the film, was she addicted to morphine? Yeah, it's like, it's, what is it, laudman or so? It's that, that's what it's like alluded to. Okay. And that's, you know, the beginning of the fall as well. So she gets addicted to morphine, and then I, that just kind of fuels her. Yeah, it's really just it's just to show that she's just losing it all. Okay. Yeah, I, by the end of the movie, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to think about Anna. I was just kind of like, uh, she seems like a drugged-up crazy woman. <laughs> and of course she's going to go kill herself. Uh, yeah, she needs help. <laughs> yeah, um, this, is, this is what you get, Anna. Sorry. Yeah, that'll teach you to love people. No, not that'll teach you to love people, but that'll teach you to not even make any sort of effort in your marriage. (laughs) I guess. I guess. (laughs) That was what I got. Yeah, I wasn't, by the end of the movie, I wasn't really sympathetic towards her at all. Yeah. I was just kind of like, hurry up and die. Uh, hey, yo, verbatim what I said. Yeah. I was, like, almost cheering on the end because I was like, all right, we're gone, we're gone, and we're out of here. I get the impression uh, Jude Law and Aaron Taylor Johnson will be much better off once you're no longer in their lives. Because <laughs> you just keep screwing things up. Sads. All right, well, I think that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion on Anna Karenina here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing that little, little independent film, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Oh, and before we go, I should mention that if you are interested in The Hobbit, uh, by the time this episode is released, there will actually be an episode of The Thin Place, uh, another one of our podcasts on Film Geek Radio, focused on The Hobbit. So if you, if you want to go ahead and hear about that little small movie that no one's excited about at all. The little movie that could. Yeah, go check out uh, that episode of The Thin Place. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including our all-new show, all about the ABC series Last Resort, Dispatches from St. Marina. Monica, where can people find you online? 
People can find me on the Twitters at mcastingmovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find me on the Bofka website. That's B-O-F-C-A. Uh, that's the Boston Online Film Critics Association. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!